It is full disclosure here on the WMAY Morning News Feed. Each week we check in with David Grising, the president and CEO of the Better Government Association, to get an update on what's happening in state government and how these issues are affecting you. David, good morning. Welcome back to the program. Good morning, Jim. Glad to be with you. We are starting today with something that I think is kind of a perfect microcosm of how government works and sometimes doesn't work. It has everything. It has special interests, corporate entities, and organized labor and the environmental lobby. There's jobs at stake. There's pocketbook issues for the average Illinoisan. There are politicians who are trying to appease all of those interests, and as a result, we have gone months with very little progress on this green energy bill, but the Illinois House returns tomorrow to make another attempt at this, uh, and the stakes really couldn't be higher at this point, whether it's the possibility of nuclear plants being shut down or the possibility of a premature ending to Springfield's city water, light, and powers, coal generation capacity. All these things are very much in play here this morning, David, and this is still a very fluid situation. Right, it still is. The latest twist is that about $200 million over 10 years, money that would come from ratepayers, uh, will be uh, funneled toward uh, the huge Prairie State coal plant uh, in the Metro East area, uh, southeast of St. Louis. Uh, the Prairie State has emerged as the last sticking point among all the various factors that you just laid out. That has included a $700 million ratepayer subsidy to Exelon, the parent of Commonwealth Edison Company, in order to keep those nukes open. And that, in turn, retains jobs for a number of people uh, in the uh, clean energy area, as well as those who work in the Exelon's four nuclear plants that potentially were at risk here. And so it looks like the deal is coming together, uh, and it's coming together uh, thanks to the uh, wallets of ratepayers across the state. Uh, nobody was willing to stand up and say, no, that's too much. Uh, the feeling among the politicians, at least, is that uh, there's always more money in ratepayers' pockets in order to make a political problem go away. You know, and uh, obviously uh, Prairie State has been linked together with City Water, Light and Power, even though the CWLP plant uh, burned significantly cleaner than Prairie State has historically here. Uh, so we'll continue to watch this very carefully to see uh, how this all plays out, whether any of that largesse being bestowed on Prairie State uh, will uh, will trickle down to uh, City Water, Light and Power here to help out our local ratepayers. But we're really under the gun with all of this because Exelon has said it's going to start the irreversible process of closing a couple of these nuclear reactors in a matter of days unless the legislature nails this all down. And so you've got to amend this bill in the House, send it back to the Senate to get hopefully their concurrence and, and hope they don't tweak it any further. There, there's still a long way to go on this and not much time. No, there absolutely is. The uh, the House will meet tomorrow afternoon, uh, and presumably uh, this thing will be pretty well baked by the time they actually get together to vote on it. And then the Senate has to vote on it. So far, Senate President Don Harmon has not called the Senate back. And so there will take a little bit of time uh, for that call to go out and the Senate to reconvene in Springfield in order to get this done. And you're 100% right about the Monday deadline that Exelon has made it clear that if there is no solution by Monday, they're going to begin the process. And it's, you can't just kind of 
shut down a nuclear plant and then turn the lights back on and get it going again. And Exxon has said that process, if it begins, will be irreversible. Uh, they seem to be uh, they seem to be true to their word on this one so far. And as much as I hate to see anybody in the state legislature uh, kind of jumping to an Exxon uh, ultimatum, uh, nevertheless, it probably took a hard deadline to get this going. Let's not forget, uh, this. we thought things were close at the end of the spring session, at the end of May, and this is dragged on and dragged on, and finally it looks like there's a resolution, a not very happy resolution in many respects, uh, in respect to uh, the amount of money being passed out to these utilities, thanks to the largesse of people across the state who really can't afford the extra cost. Uh, but that's just the way that business is done in Springfield sometimes. And, and David, it, it, it's interesting because we can't just look at the policy here. You also have to contemplate the politics of it all. Republicans are really hoping to make a lot of hay out of this federal investigation of Mike Madigan allies and the Commonwealth Edison Exelon bribery scheme that's been alleged here. Uh, but the, a lot of those same Republican politicians may find themselves having to vote for this to save those nuclear plant jobs, to uh, save Prairie State Energy and uh, the benefits to their constituents down in Southern Illinois, uh, and so they they want to make Exelon the, uh, the the bad guy here, but they may also have to vote for a bailout of Exelon, so that the politics gets pretty <laughs> tricky as well. Yeah, the politics is quite interesting, isn't it? it it's. Uh... Uh, there have been some very minor accountability measures uh, added into the, the bill, limitations, for example, on what Commonwealth Edison can spend on, on charitable uh, purposes that might go toward its political lobbying efforts. Uh, let's not forget, as you're pointing out, uh, Commonwealth Edison is at the center of the biggest political corruption scandal in memory, and the penalties uh, assessed against that utility for manipulating energy policy over many years, uh, thanks to the alleged help of Mike Madigan, whose friends and cronies uh, benefited from Commonwealth Edison jobs, et cetera. Uh, that seems to have not been at the centerpiece here. And you're right, the, the politicians in the southern part of the state uh, really don't have a lot of choice because so many jobs in their districts are uh, on the line here. And so we may see Republican politicians holding their nose and voting for this, despite the fact that it then becomes a lot more difficult for them to make hay with the Commonwealth Edison bribery and corruption scandal. This is Full Disclosure with the Better Government Association. Wednesday mornings here on the WMAY Morning News Feed. David Greising is the president and CEO. Uh, and of course, uh, when the legislature uh, convened last week uh, they and were dealing with some of these energy issues, the main reason they were there was to approve updated redistricting maps, and they did that. Uh, but now we're seeing some of the backlash, and uh, it's pretty interesting and politically pretty sensitive for the Democratic majority because we have both uh, black and Latino political groups saying these maps are really fundamentally unfair. They dilute uh, their voting power in key parts of the state. They don't reflect uh, census gains that they made. Uh, and that is going to be a, a key argument as legal fights continue over these new maps. 
Absolutely. The Mexican-American Legal Defense Fund is the lead plaintiff in one lawsuit challenging these maps. And, and uh, the Latino uh, uh, caucus and voters across the state are, have been as outspoken as anybody, if not most outspoken. They actually have shown significant gains in, uh, in the latest census. Uh, you know, jumping to uh, statewide, 18.2% of the population. Let's uh, take a quick break here. We will uh, reconnect and we'll return to our discussion of the remap in just a moment here. Welcome back to Full Disclosure with David Greising, President and CEO of the Better Government Association. The wonders of technology, but hopefully we have that all corrected now. So we're going to pick up where we left off. And David, we were talking about uh, how, particularly with the Latino community, uh, the census gains they've made, they feel were not reflected in these new Democratic maps. Now, the question becomes how persuasive an argument will that be in the court battles over these maps? And could that be enough to uh, take this process out of the hands of politicians and put in a different arena? Well, we really don't know, frankly, because uh, the argument being put forward by uh, the Mex Mexican-American Legal Defense Fund, uh, you know, has some merit to it. Uh, it, it states that um, uh, Latino voters have ha are not fairly represented in the redistricting, and we're going to just have to wait and see uh, what the federal courts have to say about this. And as you point out, the alternative to the maps that have already been drawn and approved by the Democratic supermajority uh, would um, uh, would be a, a commission, a bipartisan commission. And um, uh, that's what's at stake here. And it wouldn't be the first time in Illinois that we've seen a commission uh, dictate the maps. And there's always a uh, Republican or Democratic uh, a majority on those groups, and that ends up uh, kind of controlling this very political process. And uh, the reason this is so important is because we continue to see situations in our government where uh, it's become clear that uh, minorities often don't get a fair shake. Uh, we have seen this documented. We reported on this a couple of weeks ago here at WMAY. The newspapers picked up on it locally as well with the data from IDOT about traffic stop disparities and how minorities continue uh, to be pulled over disproportionately. Uh, and David, we've been reporting on this for more than a decade as this data comes out. It never really changes. Uh, and we, we continue to see these problems in jurisdictions all over uh, the state, and, and the question becomes, what, if anything, can anybody actually do about it? Well, the amazing thing really about this latest batch of data focused on Springfield um, is that uh, the, the incidence of black drivers being pulled over is actually greater than uh, what it was before all of this racial reckoning that we've had since the murder of George Floyd a little bit more than a year ago in Minneapolis. Uh, in this latest data, a black driver is three and a half times more likely to be picked up than a white driver, uh, whereas in 2019, uh, the data shows that a black driver was two and a half times more likely to be picked up. Uh, black driver, black uh, drivers account for 46.2% of all uh, police stops. Uh, and that's uh, they're they're currently about 20.4 percent of the population in Springfield. And as you point out, Springfield is not alone in this. Uh, this whole idea of driving while black, putting people at risk, is real. Uh, Springfield is just uh, one of many communities across the country and in this state, obviously, uh, where black people are disproportionately. Uh, 
um, interacting with police in very unwelcome and probably uh, unfair ways, ways that may in fact violate their civil rights. Uh, there was no lawsuit or anything to that effect, but this latest data is rather, uh, um, shows that nothing is improving, and in fact, conditions may be getting worse. This is Full Disclosure with the Better Government Association here on the WMAY Morning News Feed. Uh, David, a couple of other issues uh, still getting headlines, including the Pritzker administration's uh, efforts to try to uh, get more people vaccinated, particularly in settings where they are, by definition, in close contact with others. Uh, the governor has extended out the implementation deadline for a, a vaccine sort of mandate for healthcare and education workers. They have the ability to opt out and just go for regular testing instead. But the governor has still dug in his heels on insisting that state workers in congregate care settings, veterans' homes, prisons, juvenile detention centers, must be vaccinated. AFSCME continues to push back on this, as do some lawmakers. Uh, and we've got a, a showdown really kind of in the making here on this issue. Yes, absolutely. And this is... Uh uh, slightly different than the very partisan and political pushback to the governor's mandates, uh, especially in the southern part of the state. Uh, this this is, is a case where the labor union, uh, whose members are directly affected by this, is raising questions about, do we in fact need to do this in order to protect the health and safety of both their members who work in these facilities, as well as the patient populations. And AFSCME seems to be acknowledging uh, the need for vaccinations and, or weekly tests. It's a question of the details and how those are worked out. Uh, this is a very important issue, and uh, lives literally are at stake here, and we don't yet know exactly how this will be worked out. You know, but you are, are so correct about this. This is, again, a, a situation where uh, the, the people who are impacted by this don't really have much of a say uh, in the fact that they are there in these facilities in close contact with workers who may not be vaccinated. You're talking about prison inmates. You're talking about residents of these veterans' homes. Uh, and so the governor has been pretty adamant that those workers really do have to be vaccinated. It is going to be, uh, as has everything with this pandemic been, interesting to see how it all plays out and where these battle lines are drawn. Uh, in the uh, couple of minutes remaining, we also want to take a moment to uh, to talk about uh, an Illinois politician, uh, a guy who uh, w really kind of had a front row seat for a lot of uh, uh, fascinating political moments here, and he didn't, he didn't reach the heights he aspired to here in Illinois, uh, but still part of a remarkable political legacy, the passing this week of the uh, former U.S. Senator and two time gubernatorial candidate Adlai Stevenson III. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Adlai Stevenson will be remembered both for uh, losing the closest election uh, for governor in the state's history in 1982, when he lost by a few thousand votes to uh, Jim Thompson. And then again, uh, when he lost uh, in a landslide, in part because his campaign did not pay attention to the um, uh, the fact that uh, some followers of Lyndon LaRouche had run in the primary uh, for some down-ballot races, and he would have been forced to run uh, along with LaRouche's on the statewide ticket. So instead, he abandoned the Democratic Party and, uh, hit, and lost... Uh, lost in a huge landslide to uh, Governor Thompson. Uh, Adlai Stevenson, as you point out, was the uh, uh, Xi'an of a, a longtime political family. 
uh, uh, you know, state governor and and um, uh, and two-time presidential candidate uh, Adlai Stevenson was his father. He was frankly, I covered the, that uh, that race and where he the closest race in history, and he was a reluctant campaigner. Just campaigning did not come naturally to him. And after the second loss he experienced, he dropped out of politics altogether and was focused on on, on uh, forming business ties uh, to Asian uh, business partners. Uh, so he was done with politics, and the line of Stevenson's in Illinois politics came to an end with uh, with. Uh, Adlai Stevenson, who died uh, at age 90, uh, um, just just this week. It, it was uh, such a fascinating time. That was when I first got into uh, journalism. I was actually working for our college TV station during that primary year in 86, and then as a reporter covering the uh, the general election, and we'd never seen anything like it. The, the LaRouches uh, moving in and, and kind of hijacking the Democratic Party, Stevenson having to form that third-party ticket, and it was kind of an ignominious end to a guy who, as you said, uh, got Got literally within uh, a fraction of a percent of the vote of becoming the governor of Illinois, uh, but certainly a, a lifelong public servant and uh, a guy who, again, gave us a lot of interesting stories over the years uh, covering politics. Uh, and that is something, of course, that, uh, uh, you know, is, is not anything unusual here in Illinois. Unusual stories are, in fact, the norm <laughs> most of the time. David, we're out of time. Tell people quickly how to reach you in the BGA the rest of the week. Yes, I'm at DeekRising at BetterGov.org. That's D-G-R-E-I-S-I-N-G at BetterGov.org. And our website is BetterGov.org. And we'll do this again next Wednesday morning here, full disclosure, on the WMAY Morning News Feed. David, thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Jim. Bye-bye.